I will read the sixth chapter, starting at the first verse, and I'll read through the tenth verse. Ephesians 6. Reading in Jesus' name. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling. Excuse me, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall be received of the Lord, shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, Forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there any respect of persons with him. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Amen. As I even mentioned when I was praying, and I'm sure we all are aware of it, that it's Father's Day today that we commemorate, even in a natural sense. It's an interesting thing to me, and I don't quite know how to put it in to perspective in my mind. We, a month ago, basically, celebrated Mother's Day. And there's nothing wrong with that. It is good. And yet, and I hadn't thought of it till I heard um, it's another fellow I heard in a sermon that he spoke and I actually had to think about it when he said it because it wasn't something that came instantly to my mind as agreeing and yet I have to say that I believe he is right and so this is basically what he said that we hear it and we do that there's no love like a mother's love but he said, biblically, that is unsound. It is true that it should be said that there is no love like a father's love. We read in the word and it speaks of the love of the father, who we understand is God. And we understand that he is perfect. He is righteous. And he does all things, especially for us as Christians, for the good of our soul, the good of our undying portion. And that it tells us that his love and care for us, his greatest desire is that we would be saved. And it isn't that he just says that, we read in this word, and I believe that in reality we struggle to understand the fullness of what he has done in sending Christ, and all the other things that, I guess if you would say, are tied into that, 
that heaven could be ours. That that soul that is in us could be made alive spiritually. That we could be called the children of God. I know in places it speaks of us as servants, and it is true. We are to be the servants of God. But we are also his children. And it is something that I struggle to comprehend even. We understand we walk here as natural beings. And yes, Jesus came and walked as one of us. And in doing that, I mean, I it's all beyond my comprehension. And yet we know that that is how it is. He is God, one of the Trinity. And so in that, God knows all things. And yet Christ came down and lived as one of us. says he was tempted in all things as we are. He was hungry, cold, <clears throat> tired. All those things that we deal with. He dealt with them. And yet, he walked perfectly. He was at all times in the will of the Father. Something that we struggle to do probably at all times to some degree. And then, on the other hand, he took, even though he was perfect, because he became sin for us. He took all the sin of the world and paid for it. That we could be righteous as he was righteous. That we could be called the children of God. We could be seen as perfect. It's such an amazing thing in reality when we look at what we are our thoughts our, our actions are contrary so often to what God would desire our focus in life is so often turned to natural things and we worry about that and get sidetracked about what is most important God knows that. And he just asks us to believe that Christ paid for our failures. That we can walk seen by God in his perfection. Simply by faith. By believing that and trusting in that. And that sin that we know we are. That besets us, that the devil will tempt us with, constantly bringing it. Christ paid for that. And we can believe it all forgiven in the name and blood of Christ. Not in our ability, but because Christ paid for it. And when we as much as we can understand all those things and we understand that that is our father and then 
us as fathers, we are asked even here in our text that I read, and we are encouraged in so many places, that we are to live in this life as an example of that Heavenly Father. It's in reality an overwhelming task. Even, I say, the most perfect father fails miserably. And yet, we are still encouraged by God to probably first and foremost prayerfully look into the Word and see what it is that God has laid out for us as fathers. How we are encouraged to as it says here, teach the children. Well, it doesn't say teach, but it is what it is encouraging us to do. Mostly, probably, by example. That they would be directed to turn or continue to walk with their eyes on God. It is Quite a task. I don't know how to to word it because I think if we think about it too much, it could almost become overwhelming. But I've said it from this place before. We as Christians understand the value that God puts on each and every soul. And these little children, they're precious in the eyes of God. And I don't know if I can turn to it, and I believe that it's in a couple of the Gospels, where it, it warns very strongly about offending one of these little ones. It says that it would be better that a millstone were hanged about your neck and you were cast into the sea. And I believe that what it's saying is that we would do something that one of these little ones would be turned away from God. Jesus, in a number of places, says he brings little children. And even in the one place, he says he holds an infant. And it encourages everyone, us as adults, well, probably mostly pointing at that we would have faith as a child. Yes, we are to grow in experience. We are to grow in grace and the knowledge of Christ. But faith is an interesting thing and it's very difficult to describe. It tells us that we are to, we are encouraged that if we had faith as a mustard seed. And I don't believe, and to me it's an interesting thing, it, it isn't that we're to be encouraged to have a little faith. Because it isn't the size of the seed that gives the size of the faith. It has total faith. And we understand that these little children, they just believe. Yes, they don't have to be very old, maybe 
days. I don't even know where. But we can see that they just have that same human nature as everybody else. And as soon as they ha- start having the ability to express themselves, we see very clearly that it's there. But they still just simply believe. And, and I have to say that I count it honestly as, I don't know how to word this, but as a bit of a privilege when I had that, when I was in charge of Sunday school and we would do the Christmas program. And those little ones would come up and they had been given something to recite or something to read, depending on the situation, telling of the birth of Christ. And yes, they had been instructed, but they just simply believed it. This is just how it is. And it is like that. Jesus came. was born in a manger. It was just what happened. And they trust that they're going to be taken care of. And we as fathers are to walk in such a way as that they are continued to encourage to walk believing. I don't know. Sometimes I... I hear things and someone quotes or says something and um, it's not that I, I, I think it's worth repeating and yet it isn't something that was directly come to my mind if I say that. But this fellow, he said it and I think that it's worse in other areas. But he says that as most churches, we have all these They have children's church and youth groups and Sunday school. And there's maybe nothing wrong with these things. And yet he said if he comes the pastor and quiz the fathers, how many of you sit down daily with your children and disciple them and teach them about the word of God? He said there would be very few that do that. And yet, that is a direct instruction from the Word of God. And these other things, they are traditions, and they are perhaps good ones, and they can be useful. And yet, he said, if he come in and said, we're not having Sunday school, we're not having um, youth group, we're not having these things, he said, there would be outrage, but if he come and got after fathers for not teaching their children, as the Bible said, people would think that he's a little bit off base, perhaps, or think it's almost humorous. And I think it's eye-opening, because it's true. And I'm not saying that because I feel in any way that I was able to accomplish it. But God encourages that because in his wisdom, which sometimes I question, he has put men in charge of the family and teaching. And 
if any of us, when it comes to Father's Day, and, and I have to say I do or did, or I don't know how you word it in my case, can say and be thankful that we had a, have or had a father that that was his heart's desire. Give thanks to God. It's a blessing. A true blessing. The text that we have here, as we get into it, it speaks more of that. But it begins with children. It says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. I would hope that most of us here, especially the children that it's speaking to, that our parents would encourage us to, in ways that would be right with God. That we would encourage children to walk as God would want them to. That there would be no reason for them not to obey. And I don't think it's very often. I know as children they ask, or the thought is, well what about if they're asking you to do something that's contrary to God's word? I don't think that's the case in most cases. Most often it's that you don't necessarily want to obey your parents when they tell you to do whatever, clean your room or take out the garbage or something like that. We are to be obedient to our parents. But I think it's also here, and not that as we get older and are no longer considered children, that we wouldn't strongly consider what our parents would instruct us. And we are to honor them. It says in the next verse, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And it doesn't say to do this only if your parents are upstanding, godly people. I think it, it says this even assuming that the parents aren't, because we all fail as parents, even the best of us. It doesn't mean that we have to follow their example if they are doing something wrong. It doesn't mean that we are to go along with something if they are encouraging us to do something that is unbiblical. But we still give them honor. I think we can take this, and I don't know why my mind jumps here, maybe just as example, I can look at the leader of our nation. I don't want to stand for almost anything that he stands for. I don't agree with most of what he says. I don't know that, honestly, that he even agrees with it. But he's still been put in that position by God. The Bible tells us that. I don't fully understand it. But that is what it, the truth. 
And so, because of that, we are to give them honor. We are to give a reverence for the position that they are in. It doesn't mean that we have to just follow along and do what they instruct, especially when it is wrong. And we may have to take a stance against them. But we still give them honor and give due to the place that they are there. We can turn, and and Paul encourages us that in another place. And we can even see that when he is brought before the... um, my mind won't tell, but the elders in Jerusalem, and he's speaking to the one man, and they get after him, saying, are you going to talk like that to the high priest? And he basically apologized and said, sorry, I didn't realize that that's what that man's position was. And he gave honor to it. Even though he was disagreeing with the stand they were taking. It is something that I don't know that we have the ability to do without the guidance of the Spirit. But it comes with a promise. So that it may be well with thee and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And we can turn back to Exodus where that commandment was given and it is recorded there and that's why it says it is the first commandment with promise. And I don't know that if I say it's perhaps the only one with promise in a way that's laid out like that. And I don't know that it's a thing that we would necessarily that that's why we would do it is just simply for that goal that we would show our parents honor so that we could live long. I think it's just promised as a byproduct that if we do that with the right heart, because we believe that it's the will of God and he's put them in that position and that we would honor them. That will be the result. And I think especially with us who have, we have Christian parents. Because they are encouraging us to live in such a way that is according to God's word. And so there's a double, I think, good. One, we are honoring them, and two, we are honoring them because they are encouraging us to live as God would have us to live. And we know that that is the best for our undying portion, and even for our natural portion. And when I look at it that way, it's it's a difficult thing to want to even take on that role. And I think perhaps if we looked at it too hard, you you wouldn't want to, because you are to do everything. And it says, I can't quote it, but basically the one portion says that the, the greatest love we can show is that we would lay down our life for another. And I don't believe that it's meaning that we would necessarily die. But that the first and foremost and most important thing in our life is the good of others. As fathers first starting with your wife and then as your children and those around you. And the only way that we can do that is if we are in the word of God. And that our relationship to God is 
what it should be. Because that is where we get the direction for to do the other. And that we would walk in such a way that it would be the best for those little ones. And it's Father's Day and so I've talked mostly to the fathers. But I think it's something to remember that when we look at marriage, it says two shall become one. Two shall become one flesh. And I believe that when it's talking here to fathers, because in the situation that is, if I say right, and it doesn't always happen in our world, but we, it's what we desire, that there would be a family unit, and we understand that scripturally, and even the secular world has to acknowledge it, in spite of many that want to deny it, if you want to destroy a society, get rid of the family. It's what a good community, country, is built on. As a mother and father, and that's what raises children. And they have become one, as the word says. And so all these things, is speaking to mothers as well. And hopefully the father can be in such a way that the mother can just encourage and, and emphasize what he has laid out. That it's right. And that as parents, we can be on the same page. Because anybody who's raised children to not a very big age, they very quickly... If mom says no, they'll go ask dad, can I have this? Or the vice versa. And sometimes it's easy, completely unintentionally to, mom might have said no, you can't have something, and dad just says yes, not trying to undermine anything, just not being aware that there's already been an answer given and the child's trying to sidetrack that or circumvent that. I think as people, as adults, as Christians, we see that happening, and it's a bad thing, and this is where I'll go with that. We can read the Word of God. God says, this is how it is. Then we see churches that are Christian churches, basically believe in the Word of God, and yet there's things in the Bible that's like, well, that doesn't really make sense. Surely God doesn't mean it just like it says there. There must be something that's maybe means for people back, you know, 2,000 years or whenever it was written. Things have changed. Times have changed. People have changed. There's better ways of doing it. We'll just kind of ignore that and, and do it like this instead. Because it seems to make more sense. I think we as Christians need to be careful. Look to God's word. God's word is true. 
God's word is right, and it is sufficient for everything if we follow it. And if God says, this is how it is, because he's saying it, because in reality he knows that that is what is best for us. Even if it's difficult for our flesh to live with. And difficult for our flesh to want to act like. It's what is best. Because that is how God deals with us. As what is best for our undying portion. It may not be the most comfortable for our flesh. Or even if you say what is best for our natural flesh. In some ways. But it is best for that in most important part, which is the soul. It says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I don't care who we are as people, or as fathers or mothers, if we discipline our children as the word of God says, they are going to be upset with us. There's times that they are going to probably be mad at you, angry with you. That This isn't saying that we, oh, if your child is going to be upset at you or angry with you about how you're disciplining them, that you don't do that. Many times there's a difference of opinion between what the child thinks is good or what mom and dad think is good. And as parents, hopefully we have the experience and know what is best for their for the child, whether they realize it or not. And that's why we're doing it. We're not just doing it to discipline them. We're doing it because we care about them. But I think as parents, if we're doing it, that we are abusing that parental role. That we're doing it just because we want to, I think there's some cases where someone just wants to belittle a child or something. And it's going to cause, and there's a difference here, between anger and wrath. And sometimes it's a fine line, and sometimes we do them interchangeably. But if a child is wrathful towards a parent, I believe it's because they can feel that it isn't being done for their benefit. The discipline is just done to maybe get after them or to hurt them, whether it's physically or emotionally. It isn't because there's a care there. As parents, we are to do it. Yes, we might have to spank a child. The Bible tells us that. That if we care about them, we'll probably have to spank them. I didn't use that word, but we have to discipline them. But it's because we care. And we're not to do it just to make them angry. And maybe sometimes we have to explain that. And we fail. And I guess I have the benefit of living on both sides of this equation that I'm going to speak of. I'm sorry, I get emotional about some of this. 
it's a, as a father, it's sometimes very difficult to go even to those little children and say, listen, I'm sorry, can you forgive me? I was wrong in how I acted or what I did. And in one sense, it could almost seem like, why would we do that? And yet, I can remember quite vividly occasions where my father came to me as a little person and did that. And I can remember, I don't know whether it was the first time, it's the first time that I can remember it really. And I had just, I could hardly believe that the dad thought he had done something wrong because to me he was just, did what was right and I just had to accept that. And I have to admit it was quite an example as I got older. And especially when it came to children, to admitting that we are wrong. And yet the Bible tells us that we are to do that. And we do make mistakes. And it gives us, if I say, a very pertinent opportunity to be an example of how the Word tells all of us to be, that we are to confess our faults one to another. It doesn't just say to the minister. No, perhaps sometimes it's to our children. That we are to acknowledge to them that yes, and, and maybe in their situations that maybe what they did was wrong. But still, how we acted and how we disciplined them was out of line. And it's an opportunity to share with them. If I say communicate to them that, yes, what you did was wrong. And I don't want it to happen again. But I failed to act properly in the situation and I was in the wrong too it's a tough example to live I know and I hope as parents grandparents even friends that we can care enough about these little ones souls to humble ourselves when it's appropriate says to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. <clears throat> and I think it's interesting and it's it's more than interesting. I think it was, was right the order that it puts those in. And if I say just more blunt words maybe the love and discipline that God has laid out that as parents we would first show love 
And I think it's with children and it's with those around us that we would be quick to show that that love of God would show forth in our life. And <clears throat> the amazing thing that it right from God on down love isn't necessarily always warm and fuzzy as I say. Sometimes it's a difficult thing to do because hopefully that is why you're disciplining the child. Maybe maybe it's why you're going to confront some friend or somebody on something. It isn't that you want to just go and tune them up. And that's something that we often have to overcome before we do it, perhaps. But that we do because we care about them. We care about how they would walk their life. We care about where they will be when this life, their life ends. We care about their soul salvation. And yes, we want to correct what they're doing wrong. Not because we want to smack them, but because we want them to walk as God would want them to walk. Because we love them. But God tells us that there's going to be discipline necessary. It's discipline even for us. The Bible tells us that whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He gets after. doesn't matter how old we are. We're going to make mistakes. And God cares about us. And hopefully we can take and reflect that unto our children that there's going to be discipline. Why? Because it reverts back to because we care and love you. Then it changes here and it says, Servants, be obedient to them that you're a masters according to the flesh. I believe that it's important that it puts that word on the flesh. It's talking even just in natural things. And the other thing that I think we need to remember here is I think that this word servants as it's used here, today we could almost put slave in there. This is speaking to people who their master probably owned them. They had to do what was right whether they wanted to or not or they might get flogged for it. And many times there probably wasn't good masters. These were people who were dealing with people who had no or none or very little thought of Christianity. And yet they are encouraged to serve them with fear and tremblingness in singleness of heart as unto Christ. And I believe that that's the only way we can do that properly. And I will take this in our world today. It's basically, we say, our, our natural bosses, those who are over us in authority. They may not deserve that we would do the best job. And yet, we are to do it not because there are people watching. It says not with eye service as men pleasers. We are doing it and we see that in the world around us. People, they act really good so that someone can see and so they get some brownie points for it. In the natural sense. And I don't know if this is the right terminology, but this is encouraging us to do the absolutely best job possible when no one sees that we would get 
brownie points with God, and I hope that isn't wrong terminology, but that we would please God simply because we are doing what He says to do. Because that is important. It doesn't matter whether our boss knows that we do a good job or a bad job. And sometimes, yes, we are people. We like to we like people to recognize when we've done a good job. And I think it's, it's good if we see someone who's perhaps under us that we would tell them, good job if they do something good. That we would acknowledge that. But in the other way around, we would do it, do a good job recognizing that God sees. And there's actually a great promise here. It says that, um, sorry, we're, I can't, my mind won't come to it. Um, knowing this, that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. It doesn't matter who we are. If we are doing what is good and right, simply because that is what God would encourage us to do, even if nobody's watching, we do a good job, God sees, and there are blessings. And it isn't just that someone says to you, you're doing a good job. It's that God provides blessings because you're doing a good job. And sometimes it's hard to directly correlate those. And that's how we are as people. We want to see a direct result from our actions. And it's quite often why we get discouraged. Because maybe there's someone who's difficult to deal with in our life. And we are encouraged in here and in other places that we would still be kind to them, that we would care for them. Love your enemies, as it says. If he's hungry, feed him. We would go and we would be kind to them. and We don't get the result we want. Perhaps we get a harsh answer or we get brushed off. And it's very easy to just say, well, that's not worth it and carry on. No, God sees. And that is what He wants us to do. And He will bless us. It says, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. We aren't to worry about men, what they see. We're to worry about God. Because if we're doing what's right that God sees, people will see also. It's just the way it is. <clears throat> I read this already, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. It says, And ye masters, do the same thing unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, whether, where there is, neither is their respective persons with him. As a natural boss in our world, we have authority over someone. This is even speaking to someone. Some of these masters, I think, in many situations, had the authority of life or death over their, ser their servant or slave. 
And Paul is warning them here that you might seem like you have great authority over this person, but there's one who's higher than you. And it tells us that before God, all knees will bow. And we can apply this to someone who's a boss or a foreman on a job or to parents or to whatever. We are to treat people in such a way, I say, as we would desire that God would treat us and we would want that God would be kind and gentle and loving to us and that we would do that to others. Not threatening people, long-suffering, patient. It's how we are to treat others. And it it doesn't necessarily even have to be in a boss-employee situation. It can be just with people around us, too. But especially if you are in a position of authority, that you would use that authority wisely. And treat those under you knowing that God sees that, too. And if they're doing a good job, that we would acknowledge it. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His mind. We cannot do these things. We are not able to walk in this life in such a way in strength if we are not using the power of the Spirit of God. We can't do it on our own. We can many times in our own strength do things, accomplish things, bulldoze our way through things, stand up to problems even. But we're not very, very rarely, I would say, are we able to do it in such a way that it is the way God would want it to be, the way that God would encourage us. Since we are to do it in the Lord, we are to lean on His strength. It's a, it almost becomes cliche. But I hope that we as Christians have experienced that, how it is that there's something we have no idea what how to handle it. It feels overwhelming to us that we can't stand up to it. God can give. It says, in the power of His might, in the strength that God can give, in miraculous ways. Hopefully all have experienced that. We don't have to do things in our strength, in our wisdom, in our abilities. God can provide, and sometimes He will handle things without us. Sometimes He uses us. Sometimes it seems like the most difficult thing to do, what is right, what God would have. But it is still going to be the best outcome. We can be absolutely sure of that, no matter how difficult it seems to be some situation, because Maybe someone has no, if I say no acknowledgement of God, or maybe even has a, uh, 
is against God, if I put it that way, if we still, by the strength of that spirit, act as God would have us to be, the best will be accomplished. And maybe it will even offend someone. Not that we would desire that or try to do that, but it might, it happens. But it is still accomplishing the best. May God add his blessing to this word. And may he give us faith and direction to trust in him and look to him. Especially as parents when we're dealing with these little ones. That we would do it according to God's word. According to God's direction. In Jesus' name, Amen. Holy humble our hearts and receive the benefit. May the Lord bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Does somebody have a song we can close with? 
Thank、uh-huh. you.